Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Are these American spirit ones which you get in America and uh, they're supposed to be kind of vaguely organic, so I think they're actually good for, you know, one of your five. Oh, well, that's pretty much. Yeah, I think so. The organic fags, the more you smoke, the better you feel. <laughs> I think so. Well, Nine out true. of ten doctors recommend it. <laughs> Unfortunately, I tend to feel better on a Marlboro Light as well, so I'm not... Oh, know, I haven't had a fag know. for breakfast for years. Oh, I need to stop. It's stupid. How many do you smoke a day? Stupid. Oh, uh, ten. You know, it's not... I'm and not most of those are breakfast time, presumably. Yeah. Then, well, then the rest of the day is yours. But the, <laughs> you've thrown off the like. shackles of I your addiction. Do what I like. You know, and it's that stupid thing of starting at school, you know, smoking in the in the, in the sixth-form toilets and all that kind and of thing. And you've never taken a break. You've kept uh, going. No, I did. I stopped for about six years. And then another writer, uh, American writer called George Pelicanus, all his fault, mm. he, uh, he said to me, oh, I just smoke when I'm on tour. I just... I can do that. You just... You're away from home, you buy a pack of cigarettes, and it's oh, I can do that. But you then know, two weeks later, I'm in the garden, in the dressing gown. Yeah, I just couldn't do it. You're a smoker or you're not. That's what Leonard Cohen said. I went to see Leonard Cohen talk the other day, and he's however old he is. He's 76, I think. And he says, uh, at first he said, I'm going to smoke again when I'm 80. And then he said, um, actually, I'm going to smoke on tour. Exactly that. Which is, I think, partly the reason why he's never off the road. <laughs> which is great. Maybe that's why Bob Dylan, maybe the never-ending tour is, is to do with it's just, nicotine it's habit. totally to do with fags. <laughs> yeah. It could be. Brilliant. Mark, this is very exciting. Mark Billingham on the podcast. I'm calling Britain's top crime writer. Thank and you. And here. Welcome, Mark. Thank Fantastic you very much. You. Fraser Lurie is on the, uh, on the faders here. Hello. And that's the voice that you know and love. May well interrupt. One hopes so. That's but Mark, look, traditional. Mark. Yeah, yeah. Traditional opening to um, to podcast is to ask people about the kind of music that was, was growing up. We got, we'll, we'll get on later on into the the um, involvement of music in the, in the in the wonderful books you write, which is fascinating, actually. Uh, but but firstly, your own personal stuff. So yeah. growing up yeah. at home when you were a kid, what what were, what were we listening to? Well, I, t- I think I kind of inherited. You know, no, I've got no old, uh, elder siblings, so I, I sort of inherited what what my, my mum's uh, second husband. Listen to, I guess, my, my stepdad when I was growing up. And he was into kind of... He's not that much older than me, actually. Um, but there was a lot of Beatles uh, knocking around. Elton John, sort of mid, mid-70s, mid that classic run of Elton John albums. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, sort of tumbleweed connection through to, to, I guess, Captain Fantastic or something. So I listened to a lot of that stuff. Um, 
Uh, but, but especially those Beatles on cassette. Those Beatles. Yes. I, uh, I remember. I remember vividly listening to "With the Beatles" on cassette, and I can just about remember them. I can remember Maxwell Silver Hammer being played on uh, on Radio One as I was getting ready for school one morning. It's old that I can. God, was that played on Radio One? Yeah, yeah. How extraordinary! So I was out with, uh, last night with an old mate at a concert. We wait for the band to come on, and as you know, the conversation always does at these points. There's a little lull in the conversation, and you know someone's going to mention the Beatles. Honestly, it's traditional. And there's a little pause, and he says, "All right." He says, uh, uh, did the Beatles ever make any bad songs? Uh, and, of course, the answer is they made five bad songs, I think. Right. And he, I said, what do you think? He said, well, obviously Mr Moonlight, which is a fair point, isn't it? <laughs> obviously, yeah. which I don't think they wrote. Actually. Obviously, she's got the devil in her heart. Mm. Obviously, uh, Maxwell Silver Hammer, which has now become absolutely, lamp- you know, isn't it? Reviled, it's, it's, it's isn't reviled. it? It's reviled. I mean, I don't know if that's fair, but it... Well, it's, it, there aren't too many songs written about serial killers, and, and <laughs> even the ones that are... <laughs> this to is be... why you liked it, of course, <laughs> well, I've never thought of that. The interesting... I'll come on to something else about oh, serial killers. A little bit. The brilliant. interesting thing is, it, it's a song about a serial killer, but done in this silly, sort of jocular fashion it, it's a, it's a bit on i'd also plump for octopus's garden in fact you know two songs oh, kind of right, ruin yeah. abbey road and michelle i think as well i, 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 I wouldn't know. agree with devil in uh, a heart actually. oh you I wouldn't okay. quite like that okay. but anyway um the the odd thing is i, I had to compile a, a list for some radio show of you know songs that meant a lot to me and, and records that meant a lot to me and i realized that the first single i'd ever bought was a song called i did what i did for maria by tony christie Oh, of yeah. kind of Amarillo fans. Yes, Amarillo, And at the, sh- at the time, I'm sure I just liked it because it had all these kind of mariachi trumpets in it and it was all very jolly. But actually, it's a song about a guy who's about to be executed for murdering the man who murdered and raped his wife. I mean, it couldn't be a darker story. So even the, you know, the 10-year-old Barbara... Even then, going, This sounds fascinating <laughs> you know, to me. Attracted yeah. to darkness in some way, shape or form. I I'd never thought about that because, of course, somebody who goes on to write crime fiction would like uh, Maxwell Silver Hammer. You know, it, it, well, as you said, the can... cheeriness. It's the awful musical cheeriness. It is. The old hammer's coming down upon her head. It's almost inevitable. It is. But it's odd that I can remember that particular song on the radio. I can remember where I was sitting. I was sitting by the fire getting, you know, eating some cereal. And I can remember hearing that song on the radio. So what would I have been? Seven or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, No, very peculiar. But but then once I got into sort of the sixth form and stuff at school, it was all, it was prog. It was was prog rock. And it's very weird. Because I think you were almost exactly the same age as Jonathan Coe, who we had on. That's right. And And he had the same obsession. And that rang so many bells with me when Jonathan did it. But but the odd thing is, I don't know whether he talked about this, it was strange because I was passionate about it, I mean, absolutely passionate about it, and yet the little part of me felt this isn't mine somehow because I was a bit young, really, um, kind of 1975, I'm 14. I kind of, you know... So, so the alternative is, is, is glam and Bowie and... Uh, which I was into as well. I mean, I loved and Slade yeah. and yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was very, very much into that T-Rex and all that kind of stuff. But suddenly, these, in terms of albums, it was the first album I ever bought, I can remember vividly, was In the Court of the Crimson King by King Crimson, bought for no other reason than I liked the cover. The cover's fantastic. I knew nothing about it. Yeah. had no idea. Then put it on at 21st Century Schizoid yeah, Man. He goes, come on. Nothing. Um, but, you know, th- th- those were the albums that I would get home from school and I would literally lie with my head between the speakers and open the gatefold sleeve of, you know, Foxtrot or, or Nursery Crime or whatever it was and just immerse myself in That's a brilliant music. image of you with your head between the speakers and the gatefold sleeve as if you were completely enclosed in a world of, of Genesis. Well, that's what it was. And, and you would kind of analyse the lyrics yeah. endlessly. And, uh, and I think we talked about this at one point, but I, a friend of mine was reminding me the other day about that great thing you could get in the back of the NME and, and Melody Maker and stuff. Where you could send off a you know stamped address oh, yeah, the check right. for ten quid. All yes lyrics explained. Yeah, <laughs> it's just brilliant. <laughs> It's a brilliant idea. The bloke probably made millions. Probably made millions. Running a and also, I love the idea that people will accept that that is the definitive answer. Yeah. 
You yeah. know, this is, again, the male, male mind, the working of the male mind. I was talking to Kate Mossman, our review this yesterday. She's saying it's so funny because, because you, know, uh, you know, men tend to think that, that, you know, that a record is criminally underrated. Mm. You know, and they're absolutely convinced that, that, that they're right. Yeah. You know, this is a brilliant record and, and that's a fact and it's indisputable. Yeah, and women kind of think, yeah, it's just my opinion. I'm sure I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can accept that. But I love that. I mean, Prague is so largely built on, on the idea that there is somehow a right answer and it's, you know, and it's so male and it's so kind of collecting things and details, isn't it? And, yeah. And fantasy. No, and complete. And, and, the, and just the covers, you know, those. The, Hypnosis covers and, and yes covers and the Floyd covers and you just you'd sit and look at them and oh there's that little picture of that that refers to that lyric and of course track seven you know of oh, no seven there were never seven tracks what am I talking about there were probably only three on that <laughs> <whole> album. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> triple it, triple album and it, and it was just part of a whole thing we you know myself and a, and, a, and a small group of friends we had these kind of long great coats and long hair and we'd slip about in the centre of Birmingham going from record shop to record shop and in fact the, the one and only time I was done for shoplifting. Uh, was still, and I wish it was a cool record I'd nicked. I wish it was, but unfortunately it was Bo Hansen's Lord of the Rings uh, from, from a record shop in Birmingham, um, which I you know slipped into my bag. And, and you were done? I was done. I, what although, happens when you... I mean, you, you it was is, weird. Is it, you're not just made to put it back, obviously. That's exactly what happened. Oh, the, the, it the, was the, a very the, weird thing. Felt and... No, because it, I walked into this record store and it was empty. Completely empty. There's not a soul in it. And I looked around and I'm like, hello. That's a, that's and a bad I just, day to decide to do your first shoplifting. It, <laughs> An I, slipped, shop I slipped this bow stuff. Lord of the Rings into. Well, they were, of course. I slipped Lord of the Rings back. And as I reached for the door, kind of at the corner of my eye, I saw the door at the back of the shop open. And about three big guys jump out, see that I hadn't left yet, and jump back in again. And I thought, oh, hello. Yeah, and back into the shop, put it back. Oh, you did, okay. And then, then they nabbed me. And of course, I realised that the whole far wall was a two way mirror. And they'd just been watching me. They'd just been watching me. It was a sting. It was some kind of honey trap. Um, and they just said, they, they, they scared the life out of me. Irresistible album. Yes, yeah, the they base. knew. They knew <laughs> that somebody <laughs> would want Lord of the Rings. And they said, "You go into any record shop in Birmingham now. We know you are, and we've given you. We know." And I was just scared to death. Oh, I just well, you must have been terrified. I was, but I, I got. You know, I didn't get done, and it did put me off, off shoplifting for life. But like I say, I wish it had been a cool. <laughs> I wish it had been a cooler <laughs> album. I wish I'd been done nicking. You know, never mind the bollocks or something. But no. It was Bo Hansen. No, that's, that is a disgrace. It was. Did, 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 did you have those factions? Because they're so tribal. I just remember that so vividly that, that there's the prog gang over there. I mean, yeah. It was brilliant. And then you've got whatever it would be, the glam lot or the punk lot or whatever. Yeah. I mean, did, did you feel that you were in some sort of particular tribe? It, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was very, it's a very interesting time to be kind of, to be kind of 15, 1976. Yeah, and, you yeah. Know, it suddenly everything changed. But the weird thing was people seemed to think that it would be one, you know, one day you'd be listening to, to you know, Jethro Tull and, and uh, Gong, and the very next day you'd be listening to The Damned and everything else would have... And it wasn't like that. No, no, of course It not. really was a kind of gradual thing. And I remember there would be fights over the record player in the, in the sixth form block at school. There was a record player and you got an hour at lunch. And there would be these battles as to who could get their record on. Um, and, you know, when you weren't doing that, you were sitting in the corner trying to finish the enemy crossword first. Um, and it was a really weird... And you'd see everything. I mean, we, uh, you'd go and see every concert at Birmingham Odeon and you'd go and... and you'd listen to all sorts of stuff. I remember... Who did you see? All, I mean, you, you know, Wishbone Ash and oh, Rory, Rory Gallagher yeah. and Joan Armour Trading. I mean, whoever, whoever yeah. turned yeah. up at Birmingham Odeon when it cost two and a half quid to go yeah. and see. And I, and, and, and I can still remember that buzz. And it's weird because you kind of lose that, I think. When you go and you see a concert and you're in the audience before the band has started yeah. and you're looking at the, the little red light on the amps and you're looking at all the instruments and you're trying to figure out what the band are going to play 
based on what instrumentation is on the stage. And you're going, oh, he's got that guitar, so he's going to be playing. I mean, just sad, uh, nerdy uh, stuff. Every single person listening will understand Oh, that. good. So you're among <laughs> friends. Don't, don't, I'm still like that now. Uh, you, well, no, it is, it is exciting. It is exciting. Yeah. But, you know, that, then it was two and a half quid and a lot more affordable. Um, so what about Birmingham itself? Because, I mean, you know, there's various groups came, you know, the Charlatans, Dodgy, I think, Felt... Mm-hmm. Lilac time. This is later on, obviously. Napalm death. Yeah. But, but I think ocean colour scene. Maybe yeah, the Neds. Maybe pop will eat stuff. But I think also, you know, back earlier, obviously Dexys and Duran, but ELO and the move and stuff. So did Birmingham have a? I mean, I come from Fleet in Hampshire, which has absolutely no history, no culture. <laughs> it has absolutely nothing to recommend it at no all. No bands at all. Nothing. No, I, I don't think absolutely none. Okay. You know, and so you know, when you went to the Bracknell Sports Centre to see Wishbone Ash, you know, mm-hmm. you kind of, you just they were just a visiting. Everyone was a visiting act. You know, right. there's no, there no kind of no, no local heroes. You no, know. there was a big, there was a big scene, and I mean. Uh, when I was at school, so I'm, I was in the sixth form, UB40 broke quite big. Oh, yeah, and, I mean, they were literally yeah, yeah, from Moses, yeah, yeah. which is where I was from. Yeah. And everybody was listening to that first UB40 album signing yeah. on. And, and that was a big thing. And then and then a bit later, we had The Beat. Um, and uh, there, was a, there was a big thing that happened quite a lot. We had a great local radio station called BRMB, um, which, as far as I know, is still going. And, and a great yeah. DJ there called Robin Valk, who's still around. And he used to organise a, a thing called The Lark in the Park in Cannon Hill Park, uh, which was kind of big outdoor concert. So you'd see all the local bands, people like um, Steve Gibbons' band. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Rainmaker and uh, uh, what were they called? I want to say Little Feet, but it's certainly not Little Feet. Rainmaker. Something Feet. And I remember seeing the specials. I mean, I saw the specials, you know, ended up on stage with the specials in a a weird little outdoor amphitheatre where half the audience got on stage. Um, No, there were some really good gigs and really good venues and a little club called Barbarella's where I remember seeing seeing Graham Parker and The Rumour and, and all sorts of people. There. Which was the crucible of kind of the new romantic thing, wasn't it? And eventually, was it Barbara? Uh, Barbara, uh, no, the Rum Runner. The, no, the Rum Runner was where kind of Duran Duran started out and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, no, there was a lot going on in the city. There was pl- there was plenty of music to be seen. Birmingham Town Hall, Stith- the Stiff Tour, Birmingham Town Hall. Um, oh, you saw that? Yeah, I, and and th- that was kind Eric. of when it sort of changed. Yeah. Uh, Costello, Ian Jury, uh, Reckless Eric, Nick Lowe, um, Jonah Louie. Oh, no, was yeah, on the yeah, second yeah, one? Was he on the second one? I can't remember. Because it didn't really change for me with punk. I think it changed for me with New Wave, really. Because, I, I mean, I was actually a weekend punk. You know, yeah. I was the kind of kind of kid who would, you know, wait for Friday and then put my straight jeans on. Um, <laughs> and I remember a friend and I getting beaten up. A friend and I getting beaten up really shockingly one night in, uh, in Selly Oak in Birmingham, walking back from a party, snow on the ground, and we were attacked by two couples... By two men and two women. I remember it vividly. For, for what? For, for... for wearing straight jeans. Well, I can remember as we were lying on the floor getting kitchen, but that'll teach you to wear straight jeans. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody punks. <laughs> really, really weird. Really weird. It was thrashed with a handbag. It was yeah. very hard. Two men and two women. Well, that was really provocative, weird. wasn't it? I know. I mean, you, in a sense, you were asking for it. I was. You? I was dressed provocatively. I should it's never. Like going, Come on. <laughs> what would the judge have said? <laughs> well, exactly. yes. brought it on yourself. Yeah, exactly. With, with your straight jeans. Um, so I was never. I wasn't really a sort of uh, a proper punk. But when I started listening, to, I'd listen to things like Anne Nightingale. On, on a Sunday, and she started playing you had a brilliant Elvis show, Costello's fair, first album and Ian Jury's first yeah, album, yeah, yeah. And, and that's when I started to get sort of passionate about that scene. And and then my days of prog were kind of gone until recently. 
you know, so how would so... you define new wave? I can't really work it out because I was, a, I suppose, I was a, a kid at the enemy at the time, and I yeah. could never quite make the definition myself because there was the, the damned, and then there was Elvis Costello was somehow not quite punk, was it? It was, it was, no. it was just sort of it somehow it attached itself to this accelerated new movement and wore a skinny tie, but it wasn't really that. It was too complicated, really, wasn't it? It was too complicated. There were there were keyboards. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, quite yeah, like um, straight jeans. You know, you know that that kind of thing. But uh, I mean, I still, you know, Susie and the Banshees, I was a huge fan of, and. Um, uh, but Costello was a, was a big turning point for me, and he and he's kind of remained probably the one the one artist through the whole of my. So have you follow him? You still follow him? For everything Com- he does? Oh, completely! I'm seeing him two nights running in, in brilliant a, in a, the, the, uh, on the songbook tour in a, in a couple of months. Oh, how no, bad is that? I mean, you constantly sort of... checking YouTube to see if there's any new? Yeah, oh, okay. not just no, new, you, you old. <laughs> I, I got an email from a friend this morning. He did last night in American television. He did he did a version of Bruce Springsteen's Brilliant Disguise on Fantastic. the Jimmy Fallon show. So I will be watching that on YouTube when I get home. No, I am I am a nutter for Costello. And uh, so what about Costello in particular? Why? 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 why, why well, it's odd because I actually do like his voice I mean I know I have big arguments with my wife about about Costello because she just hates his voice I love his voice I think he's just got an incredible voice and I think you know people talk often about how, how, how many times Bowie reinvented himself I mean you know Costello hasn't necessarily done it physically apart from the dreadful beard years which we won't go into um, it was shocking wasn't it? It, that was it's the only time I've seen him be bad actually yeah. it was it was uh, I think it was it the mighty, suit mighty like a rose tour and he had the poncho and the big gingery beard and it was and like he slept on a park bench it was just covered odd. in a newspaper it was odd. and he and he insisted on changing the arrangement of every song he did that yeah. kind of Dylan thing of I'm bored with this so I'm going to yeah. do it as a waltz or yeah. I'm do it. but most of the time I, I, he's, he's always just blown me away and I did I I followed him around the country like a like like girls used to do with with uh, you know teeny bands. Um, oh, well, really? So you yeah, yeah, yeah. Town I, to town, so. Well, when he was when he was doing that songbook thing first time round back in the eighties, you would see a different show every night. I mean, absolutely, you would. So I would. This I would is the songbook with the with the big spinning wheel. Yeah, and, the big wheel. You know, you would spin it and, and um, yeah. Or did people call out for no? No, no, no. You'd be pulled spun. up on stage. You'd spin the and I did it. I spanned that wheel. I got on. St- I got up on stage with him. How did you get selected? Uh, do you know, it's the weirdest thing. I, I, and I swear this is true. This was at the, at the Royal Court Theatre in Liverpool. And uh, I was there with a couple of friends. And people are getting pulled out from the, from the mosh pit, essentially, down at the front. And we're, in the, we're up in the circle. And I was sitting there getting grumpier and grumpier, you know, thinking, why isn't this me? Why isn't this me? And I swear to you. And I'm in the middle of a row. And there was just a tap on my shoulder. And I turned around. There's like a bouncer, like a security guard. And he just kind of wouldn't come with me. And I had a camera with me. And I gave it to my friend. And I just followed this guy down. And suddenly I'm at the side of the stage. And I remember it vividly. This he put is it, brilliant. He puts a kind of red stripe in my hand. No idea why. And Costello just beckoned me on stage. And I walked on stage. And Elvis said, hello, what's your name? And my voice went up about three octaves. Fantastic. And, you know, Fuck! Um, <laughs> and I spanned the wheel and I got Big Tears, which is a track I've always loved, with uh, Mick Jones of The Clash on guitar. Um, and, I, you know, I danced. You have to dance on stage in a thing called the Go-Go Bonus Cage. And I what, danced... Throughout the entire number? Throughout the entire on your number. Own, just you? On just your own? you. And they go, I didn't, I didn't care, I'm on stage with Elvis Costello. And it how was, many people are watching? Is it 3,000? Oh, you know, how many people? Yeah. yeah. Um, That's so, you know, to, to, to go back to, the, to, to see that tour again, and in fact, a friend of mine has got a, a video of that of me on stage. Uh, this comedian I knew a few years ago said, "Is it on a YouTube?" Big Costello. No, I don't think it's on YouTube. Could it be put? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no. So yeah, Costello's been a, a real a real. Star. I just think he's the greatest singer songwriter of his generation by a, by a country mile, and I think that's that's kind of unappreciated. I mean, so is yeah. it the diversity of the stuff, or is it the fact that you always feel connected to him? What is it? That it's about his own life, or um, what, what aspect? He's just a. a consummate songwriter I mean and, and for me it's always been about lyrics always really you've been listening to the free feed of the word podcast 
The full album-length version is only available to subscribers to the magazine. To sign up and to hear the rest of this podcast, go to www.wordpodcast.co.uk. 